Where should we go in St. Petersburg? Are you going to St. Petersburg? I'm going to, well, I think I'm going to go to St. Petersburg, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely going to St. Petersburg. I've put in for some... UEFA are brilliant because the Euro 2020 draw is not yet complete. I think there are still four spaces available. Mm. But journalists have to apply for which games they want to do. And presumably fans have to buy tickets for games before they know which teams are in them, which is, uh, which is a, so, a triumph of planning. But you know with, with that group, you know who's in the group, so you know the game that you're going to be doing. Yeah, is it's it St. Petersburg <laughs> ones. So no, I've mainly, my plan at the moment, I've, I've applied for a few just to give me the option. I'm thinking they'll reopen it when the, the qualifiers are complete. Yeah. Uh, I mainly applied for the France, Germany, Portugal, group of death in which everyone will survive. Yeah. And um, which I sort of realised after applying for the games and now I think it's a bit pointless. But I'm going to have a few days in Munich. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought I might do Finland, Russia in St. Petersburg. I'm there for that one. Are you there for that one? So what do we... Is St. Petersburg a party town or...? Name, do you know what date that is? Uh, I can find... Do you want me to find out now? No, what? I can tell you what date oh. it is Finland, Russia. It's <laughs> oh. June the 17th. What else happens on June the 17th? June the 17th. Is it something your... Is it your... Birth? No, it, is. it isn't your it birthday. Is. Me, you, Peter Drury on the Raz. So now bird. I've got to take you out for your birthday. That's you basically. Yeah. Oh, with all how much the bun- is that going to cost me? With all the bunts you're earning from UEFA. Oh, do they still have rubles in Russia, or is it? They changed? do still have rubles. How many? How many rubles do I need for you to have a good time in St. Petersburg? <laughs> quite a few rubles. A lot of rubles. Really, it's quite expensive. Amazing city. I want during the World Cup. I had a brilliant. Uh, we, we did a really late game at the Krestovsky. It was a lovely stadium and didn't leave until about one. All of the, they've got a super swish, like metro thing, but it was short. So we had to get an Uber back into St. Petersburg, which was fine. Then we went for a bite to eat, uh, not far from the, the Hermitage, where Chinch and I will have the afternoon. Because uh, it'll be art galleries and art that type of thing. It's not going to be whorehouses and drinking dens, <laughs> Certainly is it? not. No, Chinch. absolutely not. And uh, the, we, we, do, we don't have that many rubles. <laughs> the, um, but, but you know how much it costs, though. <laughs> and no. <laughs> I can and, just take an educated yes. Your lives do not involve at least one of those two things. Oh, anyway. good. Exactly. We are non-drinkers, <laughs> and we're also both loving husbands, obviously. Oh, we are. Um, mm. The but me and anyway, me and Sid Lowe were the last two having our late night pizza, and we worked out that there are no trams or metros back in St Petersburg at three in the morning. Uh, so we thought, well, sod it, we might as well walk back to where we, we were staying roughly the same place. Quite a long, a forty-five minute walk, but because it's St Petersburg, it's so far north in the summer, it doesn't get dark. It's dark for like an hour. So we walked back at three in the morning in not blazing sunlight. It's not bright, but it was completely light. Mm -hmm. City completely deserted. And it was one of the most romantic experiences of my entire life. (laughs) Did you hold hands? Uh, We did not hold hands, but we did. We did drape our arms around each other. Did your fingers, your fingers fingers touch dangerously? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, So me and you in St. Peter's. Well, we can. The thing is, we can have some good times, but I'll also take you out and do some training with you. No. Maybe we'll pop to a gym or do some fart licking. There's a, there is a, no thank you. There is a, there's a lovely, run, I, have, I have run in St. Petersburg before. Have you? In, uh, for Was that tummy troubles or was it actually? <laughs> no idea why I was there. But I went, I've been to St. Petersburg before the World Cup. And I think I went for a run and there's a nice run along the, oh, uh, the Neva. We've got to do that, haven't we? we? For a run, yeah. I'll, I'll bring my Lycra. Yeah, yeah. Meet what a memorable birthday this is going to be. We're going for a run and then to an art gallery. It's coming down in legend. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Rory Smith, NYT, Annie Hinchcliffe, NBC, and Stephen Wyeth, BT and BBC MOTD. Ah, so the food today is cake of oh, yes. two varieties. It's all right, Roy. I'll get it when you're on a monologue. Um, so you have brought... I made a St. Clement's cake. Which is for those uninitiated in cake world? Cake is a, is a foodstuff popular with <laughs> grannies. 
and St. Clements is, and also toddlers, as it turns out. Uh, St. Clements is an orange and lemons, lemon cake. As and a saint ori- popular with grannies. Oranges and lemons, say the bells of St. Clements. Um, and I have my traditional Christmas cake, which I brought for you to all indulge Did you so make it? I, of course, did not. My Auntie Pen made it, as she always does. Uh, you can get in touch with the podcast. Setpiecemenu at gmail.com is our email address. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as well. A couple of emails prompted by recent pods. The first is... Where's the cake? Hang on a second. Ca- You're talking cake. about... I don't talk you. about Steve, cake I'll get the cake. Deliver Jim, cake. Get the cake. I told you Bear that the with. cake would come during a Rory monologue. We'll have plenty like of that time. Sounds dis- that sounds like you're making me f- sound like the person, like, you know, yes, well, who's monologues. <laughs> well, that was an excellent monologue just then. Uh, the first of these emails prompted by recent pods is from Claudia Perry saying, lads, love the pod and want the chilli recipe, which Stephen will provide. Your podcast on the overuse of the word great was, well... Deft. Nice. That's from Claudia. Hans Martin Ishida is back to give us a goal that he'd like to see again for the first time, having had the original experience wiped from his memory. This is an ongoing thread, and anybody who has them can send them to us. Hi, all. In regards to the goal that I'd love to relive, I'm going to go with Hamare Sawa's goal in the 2011 Women's World Cup final that levelled the score for Japan before going on to win it on penalties. As a Japanese-American, I was shamelessly supporting Japan that game, uh, coming off the Fukushima nuclear disaster that spring and the massive underdog story behind the team. In some ways, I feel that I may appreciate the goal even more now than I did then, but every time I watch the replay of it, I'm blown away by both the quality of the goal and the story and emotion behind it. He finishes by saying, up the Minster men, because he's a York City fan. That needs explaining. Uh, that's from Hans Martin Ishida. He's a York fan. He's a York City fan. He's uh, emailed before uh, with the reasons behind. Can you please provide the reasons behind? No, because I can't remember. To the WhatsApp group. Okay, to the WhatsApp group. Because I can't remember. Those who are more attentive than us to our own podcast uh, will know absolutely why. Uh, They're doing very well in the National League North. I think they're second last time I looked. So well done, York City. The first club that I ever covered. Uh, Stuart Hill has got in touch about our conversation around potential. Uh, You'll remember that it ended up in a unfulfilled potential 11. And he says this, as a Manchester United fan, I've been thinking quite a lot about the current batch of youngsters and how good they actually are or will be. For the last year, the club has been desperately searching for ways to get back to the United way and harking back to the 1990s, the appointment of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer being the main vehicle for this. It is notable how much the club has been promoting the youngsters in a marketing sense as well as giving them first team opportunities. United have always been a club where youth products are around the first team. Uh, Many people know that it's 4,000 matches in a row that uh, a member of the Uh, Manchester United Academy or somebody who's gone through the academy has been in the first team squad Uh, but this says Stuart feels like a spell where the current crop are being especially highly touted there is a cynic in me that thinks that this isn't just because they're talented though some like Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood clearly are he wonders if it's an attempt to mask the horrific recruitment that they've done in recent years and the lack of quality in the current squad. The club knows that supporters will always be more lenient with young homegrown players. We know from brand analysts that attractive attacking football and a rich history are seen as good ways of growing your club's brand. But does it help the players to have so much expectation heaped upon them? With Rashford, he's constantly being compared to Ronaldo in terms of goal-scoring numbers at the same age, but I am 99% sure, says Stuart, that he will not end up being as good as Ronaldo. We need to be mindful that that won't make him a failure. Uh, thank you to Stuart Hill uh, for that email. Sorry, eating. I'm eating. Sorry, I'm eating. I'm just, I'm just cutting a slice of my cake. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with the prediction that Marcus Rashford isn't as good as Cristiano Ronaldo. But do you um, understand the over-marketing yeah, no, he's to right. cover yeah, over cracks? Absolutely, and I think I'm, I'm actually always surprised that clubs don't do it more. It's a really easy way of, of buying time, saving money, winning, winning friends. Maybe not winning games all the time. The, the thing is with that United batch you can tell that Greenwood's 
I mean, Rashford's an established star now. It's a bit weird. He's played 200 about, times, hasn't it? It's a bit weird talking about Marcus Rashford in terms of kind of what could he be? He is one of the best writers in England, one of the best in Europe. That's, that's fine. He's Marcus Rashford. Um, Greenwood obviously is more sort of potential, but looks absolutely grade A, top class footballer, Mason Greenwood. The more interesting ones are people like Brandon Williams, who looks like a really good left-back, but it's really hard to tell whether, will he be a sort of long-term Man United left-back? Will he be a stalwart Premier League left-back? Will he maybe drop down a little bit? It's harder, to, it's harder to tell with those players who are clearly talented, but are not kind of transformational, generational talents. Greenwood is. And I'd also be a little bit careful about being critical of clubs for promoting youth, because that is something that in the past we have criticised clubs for not doing mm. more of. Uh, they are promoting youth in a way that is indeed laudable, but perhaps Stuart's point is that they are promoting them with a slightly cynical edge yeah. in order to try and use that to say, well, the rest of it doesn't matter because look, look at what... So they're taking advantage of something that they have obviously done very well it was uh, for a, you, a period of decades. They're promoting it so much that of the I've only ever received two press releases from Manchester United in my entire life, and one of them was about that bloody 4,000th game. And finally, from Ray George, our New York correspondent, who has consistently kept us informed about the state of the subway in his fair city, but inexplicably didn't have an update in his previous email, so Ray is back. Since you asked, says Ray, an NYC subway update. We've quickly moved from late fall oppressively trapped underground heat to winter swamp-like filth, where excessive rains mix with discarded garbage to create a festive stew that requires careful navigation. And contactless payment continues to go unused. But for justifiable economic reasons, swipe cards, he says, offer volume discounts, contactless payments do not. But for all its flaws, I do marvel at my ability to navigate the sprawling city with such ease. And for that, I am grateful. And without the festive garbage stew, where would the rats go play? Uh, so thank you to Ray, who adds also, attached is a bit of reacher dialogue for your out of context consideration. He's doubled down as Ray. So once again, we have the chance to hear Chinch do the kind of appalling semi-offensive American accent he'd never dare use on NBC in our latest episode of Out of Context Reacher. This is when Andy reads a completely random excerpt from a Lee Child novel from his thrilling series about Jack Reacher. No context, just content. Chinch, over to you. Uh, well, I have to... Th th this, this, is, this is actually, for Lee Child, this is some excellent writing here. He's written some brilliant books over the years, and once again, Lee Child has written another Jack Reacher book. Um, there's, there's, there's two voices here. Clearly, one is Reacher. We're going to start off with Reacher. And he's talking to a lady, which he, he tends to either talk to them or... We know where it's going to lead. It leads to the bedroom or the bathroom. Um, so, yeah, so there's two people. I'll, I'll try and make it obvious who's who by using the, the vocal skills that I possess. Okay, so we're starting off with Reacher here. <clears throat> as long as it takes, he should have thought about all this before. I don't see how his welfare suddenly becomes my responsibility just because he chose to attack my welfare first. I'm not clear how that works exactly. They started it. They can't expect me to provide a health plan we should be magnanimous in victory. That's the woman. <laughs> Someone said that. Full disclosure, Reacher said. I told you before, I'm a certain kind of person. Is the guy in the trunk still breathing? I don't know. But there's a possibility? Yes, there's a possibility. That's me being magnanimous in victory. Normally, I kill them, kill their families, and piss on their ancestors' graves. <laughs> Apologies there for the potty mouth. <laughs> I never know when you're kidding me. I guess that's true. Are you saying you're not kidding me now? I'm saying in my case, magnanimity is in short supply. You're taking food to an old couple in the middle of the night. That's a different word than magnanimous. Still a nice gesture. Because one day I could be them, but I'll never be the guy in the trunk. So it's purely tribal. Your kind of people or the other kind. My kind of people or the wrong kind. 
Who's in your tribe? Almost nobody, Reacher said. I live a lonely life. Well, that I'm, is... I'm emotionally drained. It's great writing, isn't it? It's writing, and it's... It's, it's definitely... It's, it's there. Word, it's words. It's... Is that from Blue Moon? That is from the most recent uh, Jack Reacher novel. Ray just opened it, took a picture, and sent it to us. It is that easy. Do it to setbeastmenu at gmail.com. That's good Reacher. That's good Reacher right there. I'm just going to uh, lift the uh, curtain a little bit on this, because Chinch has circled the Reacher dialogue and put a big star next to each line of uh, Reacher dialogue. Steve, you didn't need to tell the, people um, that. Don't lift the curtain too high. The, 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 the female dialogue has been left untempered with. Well, Chinch. because there's, there's less female dialogue, it is Reacher heavy. Um, but the, again, I'm not. Does Reacher need to swear? Does he really need to use him? that? It's to me, he's better than that. What mm. I find about Lee Child's dialogue is that quite a lot of it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That's why we read it out of context because providing context would add very little to it. Uh, so yes, send any Reacher uh, out of context passages, please, to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Maybe Jack Reacher would be interested in what I'm just about to say. Uh, because he's a large gentleman. Set piece menu is brought to you by Man V Fat. Is Reacher overweight? He's two hundred and fifty pounds and six foot five. He's not overweight though, is he? No, but he might be. He might love football, and he might be feeling out of shape. He loves football, American football. I'm not sure he'd be a big fan of soccer. No, he's, he he's, got a, he's got a, a French mother, so he'll football love football. And kill him and really? as, as we know from the live show, he played at West Point. He That's did. True. He yeah. played at West Point. So but then he, got injured, you he loves playing football, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he, he might, on occasion, feel out of shape. So why doesn't he, like all of you listening, sign up to... Man v fat. He'd end up killing all of his teammates. <laughs> that that would certainly reduce the weight of the team, and that would send them skyrocketing skyrocketing up the league. Man v fat football is a nationwide program that combines football and weight loss. Whether it's weight which is fat or weight which is muscle, which we know Jack Reacher is one hundred percent. And muscle weighs more than fat. It does. So mm. he's going to be on the Keep heavy side. He's going to yeah. completely undermine his team's efforts to go up the league. Man v fat doesn't preach about the latest fad diets or detox teas. They support their guys in finding a way to lose weight that suits their lifestyle, building healthy habits and getting their bodies moving more. Man v Fat players not only score goals on the pitch, but also on the scales every time that they lose weight. This means they can contribute to their team's rise up the league table, no matter what their natural football ability may be. But Man v Fat is so much more than just football and weight loss. It is teamwork, accountability, friendship and fun, which, as Rory said last week, completely describes this podcast. Players in Manfi Fat Leagues across the country have lost over 240,000. I think since the first time we read that, I reckon that's going to be more than a quarter of a million. Yeah. yeah. I think we've breached the quarter of a million mark. Imagine you've had Christmas. Oh, I put it back on again. It's yeah. back down to 240,000 pounds. But that's since 2016, and 90% of players in the programme lose weight. So if you would like to join a league near you, all you need to go is to the website, manvfatfootball.org. Find out about all you can do and what has been done by those who take part in Man v Fat right now. Or you can take a look on their Twitter, uh, which is at manvfat. Genuinely, some of those testimonies from the players are brilliant to watch. Man v Fat, way, play, win. It's, it is an excellent idea. I, I couldn't play because of my knee situation. Why don't we all... I think it's your knee sitch. That's what the kids are saying. Is that what they say these knee days? Knee sitch. Why don't we, as a pod, should go and do a blaze class with you, Steve? Rory? No. You fancy... Why not? I'm not shouting blaze. Don't just don't shout do blaze. Want, just mouth just, it. Just I'd rehearse it now. Fist bump me and shout blaze. No. And go on, Rory. No. Oh, what? And now all of a sudden you guys aren't touching each other. <laughs> just That was last week. That was last as week. As everyone else yeah. shouts blaze, just mouth blaze. 
Yeah, you'd have you to say the words. It's, it's, like, it's like when you go to church, but you don't really <sighs> believe, so you just kind of mouth it along. You don't really actually say the words. What people go to church and don't believe? Some of them do. Yeah. Do they? Can you yeah. name names? Yeah. It's like going to a press <laughs> conference. You don't always have to ask a question. No. Uh, but anyway, I'm still not going. <laughs> Come on, why, would, we, we could do rather, this. Come on. I, rather than doing all that stupid kind of stupid blaze stupid. Steve, or stupid. spinning or all that stuff, there, there is no better exercise than a good game of football. That's my that's my view. That's excellent. And Apart from those, maybe squash. Those who would subscribe to that view are the fine people at Man V Fat. Yes. Where you can weigh, play, and win. Yeah. Or, or, and have or fun squash. Rather than having to. I mean, is Blaze on bikes? Don't sit on a bike in a sweaty room with those videos. No, shouting. This is no, good. no that's. I've numerous times. Gymnasium now. Neanderthal. What are you talking about? Of course, it's not on bikes. That's spinning. Our topic today follows on oh. from last week's about how power has shifted in the Premier League over the last 10 years and partly how that might already be happening again. The great rivalry of the last 18 months has been Manchester City and Liverpool. One team with a rich history peppered with trophy success throughout and the other being Liverpool. That uh, brought to you in association with a group of fans who might feel annoyed by some of what's prompted this discussion in the first place. Uh, yes, it seems that if you're a City supporter, you're convinced that there has been something of a hashtag agenda against your team. Or rather, maybe ones that's predicated on becoming all dewy-eyed and nostalgic when Liverpool have the potential to, or indeed do, succeed. Liverpool fans will have a different perspective, of course, and there may well be the nub of it. So today, we're going to ask why the coverage of these two clubs in particular seems different and might be in the future. Is either one unnecessarily maligned as a result, or is it all completely understandable? Here we go, guys. We're going to really annoy some people here. Excellent. So the first thing on this... Let's try and annoy everybody equally on both sides, which is essentially what, uh, for example, the BBC is accused of all the time, and that yeah. allows them to feel like they're ploughing a furrow down the middle. Who gets to be Toonsburg? <laughs> somebody be Coonsburg, somebody be Robinson, and somebody has to be Dan Walker. Well, well, do, do I think Dan Walker was biased during the election, he was He gets massively accused, as does, does BBC he? Breakfast. We need one of those clocks that they use in Chesh. Cheshire. Is that Cheshire? Cheshire. 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 Even in Cheshire, we don't say Chesh. We say ch <laughs> You need to start saying Chesh. Chesh. What's the sitch in Chesh? <laughs> what the. Steve, get a grip, man. Seriously, get a grip. That is a Chesh horse right out there. Yeah, absolutely, we need yeah. One of those clocks that they use in Cheshire. Cheshire. <laughs> so that we can make sure that we balance yeah, this yeah, discussion yeah. an even amount of time being critical or in favour of the two clubs that we are about to discuss. To return to the subject at hand. I think this isn't the subject. The, are the we central actually going to is problem the, right. is that people don't read. And it's not. A, this isn't going to be like a fans thing, aren't fans terrible? I think one of the problems with the atomised media that we have is that you read the bits that applies to your club. So to reference, and I don't want to give them the oxygen of publicity, that Miguel Delaney piece that we talked about last week, it was really interesting reading the responses of people saying, why, haven't you written, why aren't you writing this about Man City? Miguel has basically written nothing but that about Man City for a year, and Man City, the club and the fans, are furious with they, him. They don't like him. They don't like him because he keeps writing that there is that, that, that exact same theme of this isn't great for football. And I think there's a genuine problem in football and in society, where people are only reading one tiny proportion of, and often hate reading one tiny proportion of, of, the, of the general output and saying, well, why haven't you done this? Why haven't you done that? Why haven't you done the other? And often it, the answer is, well, we have. You just haven't read it. That's one of the big problems with, with all fans, not just Man City or Liverpool fans, perceiving the way their club is covered. They either don't read, people don't read. If you're a Liverpool fan, why on earth would you read a piece that's sort of an in-depth analysis of Arsenal? You wouldn't. 
So you might assume that that's not been written, but it has. All those clubs get exactly the same amount of scrutiny. I would say that the... Well, all those clubs apart from Spurs get exactly the same amount of scrutiny. Spurs get a little bit less, as we said. Um, the I would imagine that's based on numbers. They maybe don't quite do the same the, the same sort of traction. Uh, and I would I would to be honest, I'd estimate that they get an equal amount of praise and criticism. Both of them. I think there is a perception that the media loves Liverpool. I think Liverpool fans would be baffled why that perception exists. Uh, I think there is a particularly strong perception at the moment that the media hates Manchester City. Uh, I don't think it does. Don't think that's true at all. Uh, I think that Manchester City. I got this on Twitter the other day when people were sort of someone was said something about City and the coverage and how they didn't get any credit and it was all negative after City won the title last year or did the unprecedented domestic treble last year. And I sort of said, well, I'm not quite sure what you want to, us to have done. I wrote a piece saying that Pep Guardiola was one of the greatest coaches of all time and had fundamentally transformed English football. I mean, literally, what else do you want me to write? What what form of praise? is better than that and I think the problem is that, that a lot of people say they want they want fair and balanced reporting but they don't really they they, they want fair and balanced reporting that seems fair and balanced to them and their, their idea of fair and balanced is not the same as somebody else's or, or that right. they want fair and balanced reporting but the way that they absorb their media is not fair and balanced yeah. because they're not reading that cross section of information that they demand is provided solely of their club. So we, we should t- t- talk throughout understanding that, that complaints come from within an echo chamber and that is, as you say, Rory, not just a problem with football, that is a problem with mm-hmm. all society uh, at the moment. But we kind of have to accept that the access to this information will always be through that prism. Um, do we then say that the arguments don't hold any water and we should just say you, you're, you're getting the wrong information or do we then go a little bit further and say there might be not necessarily just an understanding that for example clubs or fans of clubs feel that their club is being negatively attended to by the media because they will always remember those moments but also the comparison between Manchester City and Liverpool and so what Manchester City fans feel is happening when those two clubs are being covered in for example a test tube or a petri dish of the same story will they get the same reaction to that story and it's interesting because particularly this season with Liverpool dominating in a way that Manchester City have previously and you mentioned Miguel Delaney's piece about Liverpool uh, from last week this is a kind of what City fans feel a kind of a, a real really important moment for them to gauge whether they are right about what they felt up until this point with the with the coverage they're getting for their success so I um, got in touch with one of my fans' friends. One of your fans' friends? One of your fans? One of my fan friends. Is it a fan or a friend? One of my fans who just happens to be a friend. No, one of my friends who just happens to be a fan of Manchester City. This is no clearer. No, Uh, I'm so baffled. Natalie Natalie. Pavalek, you'll know uh, from uh, BBC Radio Manchester if you're in the local uh, area. And also, uh, she does a lot on Five Live. um, And she is a very erudite, Mm. articulate thoughtful sometimes when I tell it to be Manchester City fan so she sent this to me after I asked her what is the general feeling of Manchester City fans about the comparison between the coverage of Manchester City and Liverpool she says it is certainly a belief among a large percentage of the Manchester City fans that Liverpool are treated more favourably in the media than City are in fact many would say there is simple hypocrisy when you compare the coverage most will be able to give you numerous examples that they feel shows this a few of my favourites are as follows Nick Miller writing a piece this time last year basically saying a dominant City were ruining football as they were so good but then this year saying the complete opposite about Liverpool The Guardian headline a week before the end of the season saying European regrets leave Manchester City chasing a bittersweet treble 
impossible. The idea that winning every single domestic trophy in one season could ever be bitter anything, uh, she says. And then she mentions an ESPN article in April 2019, that might be Mark Ogden, Oggy, sorry, with a headline saying, Manchester City are boring their way to the title. A title, she says, we won by one point. What could possibly be boring about that? There were also many articles written about City being boring. The day after we won the league in 2019, the front page of the Times Sports section was a picture of Sadio Mane and an article on why Liverpool won't fade after coming so close. City literally won the league the day before and the main article by the Times was about Liverpool. My personal favourite though comes from November of 19, 2019 when both Liverpool and City scored late goals to win games on the same day. The headlines on Sky Sports website were Incredible Liverpool win late and Walker strikes late to spare City blushes. Now what I certainly do accept is social media has put us all in our own bubbles. I recognise how small mine was when I actually thought Labour had a chance in the general election, <laughs> she says. So we can certainly be guilty of only seeing what we want to. It is also commonplace in life to remember and reflect on insults more than compliments and the same could be said uh, in this instance. I personally don't immediately remember any positive headlines about City, not saying that there haven't been any. A thorough look at this would also need to discuss how we access modern media and if these headli headlines are simply clickbait in an over crowded market. Ultimately, though, City fans are hugely protective of our club, a club we are proud to support. City fans want the recognition they feel is fair and warranted, as opposed to the attempts to taint incredible football achievements and a brilliant football club that we can't help but remember. That's from Natalie Pavlik. Thank you, Natalie. Can I just pick up on the, the Twitter one? Because I remember this one, because it, even though I live outside of the Manchester City Twitter bubble, it's crept into my Twitter timeline because a lot of City fans were using that example as the ultimate demonstration of the disparity in the way they were treated compared to Liverpool. Obviously, Natalie makes some very, very eloquent points, but I think all of them support what we have already said and what we will continue to say that if you are in that bubble you are going to notice those things and you are going to react to them the twitter one is a fine example because those two things were not comparable at the time they are not comparable now the manchester two, the two late goals the two late goals thing manchester city's late goal came against Southampton. And it wasn't that late. It was the 82nd, yeah. 83rd minute. It was within the Kyle the Walker winner. The in Kyle the, Walker yes. winner against a team that had been beaten 9-0 at home by Leicester in its previous Premier League game. Whereas the Liverpool situation on the same day, their winning goal came in stoppage time away from home at Aston Villa, who had been galvanised by their vociferous home support and looked for a large majority of the game as though they were going to win and maintain what at that time looked to be an impressive adaption to life in the Premier League. The two situations were not the same at all. And the way they were reported on by those headlines, the way they were captured by those headlines on the Sky Sports website were utterly accurate. With, with the possible exception that you could say that the Kyle Walker's goal against Southampton wasn't actually that late and that it was City actually just sort of roll. they kind of, they weren't brilliant but won. There's an element of, of, of the Sky Sports website in that case trying and to find a bit more drama in yes, what wasn't actually that The word that incredible is hyperbolic yeah, in that situation, but he, but they Steve's would completely right that that Liverpool, I think, from that game, would lose in 1-0 in the 87th minute and won. Yeah. That is incredible. It was much more dramatic at yeah. Villa Park. And also harder, because it wasn't against Southampton. Yeah. The, but the, that is a really important thing to touch on with, with this subject. And I, I have a slightly different perspective to the, to the one that maybe I would be expected to have, I think. And that I think basically it's the failure is the media's failure to explain how we work. I think there's a, it doesn't hold anymore, this kind of... This, this kind of 
we sort of present things to people and expect them just to go, well, that's that's what the media, that's, you know, that's journalism. Just for, think, for example, like on the on the front page of the sports section was right, so a I can, Liverpool I can, I can explain lead, that. I can explain that. But the back page of the main paper, for example, was, this, was a picture of City. Was City. So that's the main lead and then it's a secondary lead that goes on the yeah. front page. You don't have the same story on the front and back page of those two so with, parts of with the paper. So with all due respect to Natalie, and that's a really, a really, as Steve says, really a really good email, a really good sort of summary of, of the way that City fans feel. You can go through those and, and as a journalist, you can say, well, that's because of that, that's because of that, that's because of that. And to a journalist, it's really obvious so yeah, with I worked at the Times for five years, maybe longer, I forget. For some reason, I don't necessarily agree with this, I don't think it's a particularly sensible policy, but for some reason on a Monday, when the day that the Times has its sports pull out, the game, it's gone downhill since I left, the... Um, the In all its forms. The, the editor, the big editor of the paper, who doesn't like football, does not like football, generally doesn't want football, his belief is that football should not be on the back page on a Monday because it has its own pull out. But he has always said... That if, your put, that if your back page picture, which most people will see, is of one thing, the front page of the pullout should be of another thing. Now, it, that's not something I think is particularly sensible, and it, gives, it means that the Times occasionally will have slightly weird front pages to the game pullout. And you'll, you'll see it and you'll be like, mm, that doesn't make any sense, that's not, like, West Ham drawing isn't a great story. But then you'll realise that the big story of the day is on the back page of the paper. So, yeah, when that was pulled out on, in May last year... You saw all these City fans going nuts and saying this is ridiculous, they're reporting on Liverpool rather than City. They weren't. It was just It's just a design thing in the way the paper works. But to me, the media has to explain that stuff better in the current era where people have a degree of knowledge. In, there's another example that I wanted to just... And I'm, this isn't for, for a minute to shoot down Natalie at all. Um, so the other thing I was going to say was that that day that City won the title, they were away at Brighton and Liverpool were at home to Wolves. And it was fairly obvious that City would win at Brighton, but you didn't know. So there's just, there's just me covering football for the New York Times. There wasn't another, we, we were not like a British paper, so we, I didn't you know. There's not like we've got like 10 staff members who could go to lots of different games. I had to pick. And to me, the better story was at, at Liverpool. Liverpool was a story either way, because if Liverpool obviously won the lead, then that would be from un, unexpected shock, Liverpool dramatic, blah, blah, blah. But if they lost, it was. Th- the story was the pain, was the kind of how they responded to that sort of ultimate denial of dashing of the dream. And obviously we didn't know then that Liverpool would start 2020, 10 or 11 points or whatever, clear at the top of the table. So I went to Liverpool. And my plan was to write a Liverpool piece, just to write the next day, Man City, you know, 300 miles away, winning the league. This is what it felt like in Liverpool. Two Liverpool fans who'd hoped maybe this was the last kind of bastion of hope still at the Champions League, blah, blah, blah. That was the only way with just one person. Because if you go to watch City win at Brighton, the story is Man City have one league. There's not, there's not a vast amount you can write about that. But my boss quite rightly said, look, it's weird to do a, Liverpool, a piece that looks like a Liverpool piece the day City won the title. So we're going to have to write remotely a column on what City, on how City have done it and, and what it means and what this says about Guardiola and blah, blah, blah. So I wrote from Anfield two pieces. I wrote one for the Tuesday paper and one for the Monday paper. But we went with City first because they had won the title and it had to be... It had to be reflected in that way. But equally, as a journalist, I, I have to be able to, if, we, if, if Andy hadn't stepped in and set me on the right path, I would have had to be, I, I have to explain better, I think, in the current, in the modern climate, when people are, are a little bit more media savvy. People are more media savvy than they were. They're not as media savvy as they think. I think and there are, still, there are still ways that the, the media works that, that we don't explain well and we have to explain that better. But with all of those examples there is a media reason for them. Natalie also mentioned the Nick, the Nick Miller piece saying that 
a dominant city would win football, whereas he said the complete opposite about Liverpool. What's the complete opposite? I, I would guarantee that Nick Miller has not written a piece saying Liverpool being 13 points clear is brilliant for football. I would guarantee that's not happened. That, and, and With all due respect to Natalie, that is not... What, what basically, what he Nick will have written a piece saying it's good that Liverpool have challenged City or good that Liverpool are top. But also, as Steve touched on with those late winners, these things are not the Lots of things are not the same. There's a lot of false equivalents drawn in, in this conversation. This is a monologue, Hugh. Damn. You were right. You, you've got, we've already, you've the already got the cake, so it doesn't, but it doesn't it's, matter. It's, it's not the same. City winning the title, having got 198 points out of 228 in two years is not the same story as Liverpool ending their 30-year wait for a title. Those are not the same story. And I think with a lot of fans, and it's not just a City thing, they see the way... They seem to think that kind of... I'll just turn my Siri on for some reason, I don't know why. Siri can help us. She can always help. They seem to think... There is a perception that everything should be absolutely equal. But it's not, because the context is different. So when Leicester won the title... They didn't receive the same coverage as when Chelsea won the title the following year because they were different stories. Leicester was far more lionised and far more fated and far more romantic than Chelsea winning the league. In the same way as the, the other one that City, Natalie doesn't mention, the big thing that City fans get annoyed about is 2014 when City won the title but Liverpool got a lot of the credit for being the, the story of the season and look, it was written about as Liverpool's title challenge. That's because City had won the, the title two years previously and are the richest club in Britain. Liverpool had, at that point, been waiting for 24 years for a league title, had this ridiculous, nefarious superstar playing for them, and hadn't. And it kept, kind of came out of nowhere and kept scoring four goals in the first 20 minutes of games. They were not the same story. One club wins lead or clubs challenge, club challenges for title isn't the same if you, if you just sort of drop in a different name of the club. Each story is different and each story has to be handled differently. But equally, monologue ends, we have to explain a little bit better why those stories are different. So if you explain the, the journalistic point of view, the, the clubs themselves, the press departments of the clubs themselves, are they fueling how the fans feel? They clearly must know how the fans feel that they, their club is being covered. Are, are the clubs actually playing up to this as well and saying... Again, they're building the siege mentality and saying, we're not getting fair coverage. So the fans then, again, presumably, they, a lot of their information will come from the club. Are the clubs saying, no, just go out there and read everything that's out there? Or are they saying, yes, we are being treated unfairly. So the fans, and that's fueling the fans kind of the way that they see the, the media covering their club. Or are the, are the clubs trying to step away and just let fans make their own minds there'll be, up there'll be, all this? There'll be two, two, two lines of approach to this. There's, there'll be an official line of approach and there'll be a briefing, backgrounding line of approach. And Rory, you're more in this game uh, than I am. But what a press department might feel personally or emotionally doesn't necessarily come out in any sort of official guidance. This is really but it may well be that certain things are encouraged if they have the ability or the agency to react upon their emotions because it, emotions won't necessarily always be a club directive. No. Uh, this is really, that's a really hard question to answer, Chinch, and it's hard. It's a good question. Though, it's isn't a good it? question. Yeah. But, and do you know what? It's hard because there's this weird kind of amerta that you feel you shouldn't break. Because I'm only, I'm only talking about my, my experience of being around City for, say, the last five years and being in press rooms and speaking to people involved. In the, there does seem to be a bit more of a, an anxiety 
about how City are covered by the by the broadcast media, but also kind of the in terms of the what what's been written about them. So they they do. I don't know whether they're trying to generally build this siege mentality. That's what it feels. But that's like part to of me. the echo chamber, isn't it? That's part. I, of the I echo don't know. Chamber. Is that what it is? It's part of the echo chamber because they they will have everything reflected back, so they will get a greater sense of how the City fans feel. Because clearly, as much as they will inform how City fans feel by what they put out, they will also know how City fans feel about everything else. That is, they are part of the echo chamber. They are spinning that chamber around on its axis, but also. So there are precedents to creating a siege mentality, which happened way before social media, way before echo chambers or ever something that we would talk about. So there is, uh, you, you have to admit, there, there will be, for many clubs, a, a very quick decision to turn something into a siege mentality because they see the possible it, benefits it, it of it. It seems to be that that's just what all clubs have this weird siege mentality now. It's sli- I find it... Us against, us against the slightly world. Slightly pathetic. Yes. The, there's this sense that everyone's... I mean, and you find it with, with fans of clubs who get far less coverage in kind of national, international sort of outlets than, than City and Liverpool who are convinced that there is some sort of agenda against them. I mean, a lot of the time you, you kind of think, you know, we, we don't really think about you enough to have an agenda for or against you. It's hard, that question, Chinch, because there is, there is actually... There's a really honest answer, but I don't actually know whether it, there's... It feels a bit like you'd be breaking a, an emerge to... To give it, so to be relatively quick and not to ban on. I probably, I've known Man City's press team for 12, 11, 12 years and really liked them. Really liked all the people involved. And I think for a long time they did a really, really good job at, at kind of steering you in the right direction, at helping you out, at giving you background, at responding in the right way. I think there's been lots of situations where City have responded brilliantly. I think that in, a lot, in lots of ways they're brilliant at their jobs. I don't actually work with Liverpool that often at the moment and haven't over the last couple of years there's been there's been story, I've done games and stuff and a few features but Liverpool are quite are quite well covered and my, my beat is is a lot of the time not to do the same stuff as everybody else um, obviously when they're in the Champions League final you kind of have to cover them you can't ignore you can't be like well I'm not reporting on Liverpool because I look biased but Liverpool are really clever Liverpool, I would say, comfortably have the best press department in the country in terms of how they respond, how they work with the media, the things that they, they, they allow to come out, the, things that, the way that they maintain certain things not coming out, the control they have, the kind of grace and favour approach that they use. And it's all very cynical, and you, you, you speak to them, and they're, they're lovely, they're really nice, but they, they are good at their jobs. And part of being good at their jobs is being cynical and thinking, right, how do we manipulate the situation to our advantage? And that's what Liverpool do better than anybody. There is a part of, of me that thinks that what Man City should be doing, instead of getting angry with the preferential treatment that Liverpool get, the media doesn't support Liverpool. The, 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 this is, this is a, that's a fundamental thing that has to, be, has to be stressed. There are, I know as many journalists, plenty of Liverpool fans in, in the media, because there's quite a lot of Liverpool fans generally. Mm-hmm. There's, you'd be surprised that, you know, the, Loads of Liverpool, Arsenal, Man United fans in, in, in the media, which is astonishing given that there's loads of Liverpool, Man United and Arsenal fans in the country and the world. But I know just as many journalists, in fact not just as many, I would say I know two or three times as many journalists who actively hate Liverpool privately, doesn't often show in their work, but actively hate Liverpool as actively support them. Mm-hmm. That, and that is an absolute honest in the same that I, I know a lot of journalists who actively support Crystal Palace mm-hmm. in the same way 30 years ago they actively supported West Ham there are journalists support clubs that's not a bad thing but the, this idea that the media wants Liverpool to win is complete and it, that's something the City have bought into mm-hmm. institutionally is completely missing the point 
Liverpool helped the media. The question that City should be asking is not, why do all these journalists, why are all these journalists so biased? This is City as a club. Why are all these journalists so biased? They should be asking, why is our press department not manipulating the media as well as Liverpool do? Liverpool, are, in terms of media manipulation in that sense, and that's not as bad as it sounds, yeah. are best in class. It, it is a complicit manipulation. The, the, yeah. the media who understand that, that there is a cynical aspect to the way that, and again, we're not going to break the amount of saying any of these people's names but the, the person who was in charge the director of communications is, is that his official title I don't know, I don't know. but the, the, the guy that runs the media department at Liverpool most people will know him as being an open yep. kind friendly. helpful yep. friendly guy um, and that reflects back you can't help but because you like him you can't help but then have something of a different relationship than you might do with a, a media department this is not City as I'm no. using as an example who is Openly hostile towards the media. Clearly, there will be two different relationships yeah. that you have with those two clubs because of the Not two even different. Openly hostile, but like someone like Bournemouth, you just can't get anyone to answer the phone or <laughs> to reply to your emails, and you, you try and do stuff with Bournemouth. Who should really not be not be grateful for coverage, but should want to, should be actively encouraging. Certainly, from the New York Times. Well, everyone should be grateful for coverage from the New York Times. Uh, the but Bournemouth is the sort of club who could probably do with who should be thinking about kind of how do we how do we track these markets. Bournemouth will not help. You, you sort of email or call. I've stopped doing it. I've not done it for a couple of years. They might have, so they might have changed because after a while I was a bit like, well, effectively, sod you. I'm not, mm-hmm. if you're not, not going to help me out, then I won't come through you to do stuff. The, the, the other bit of the emotion that should be addressed is that City have bought into the idea that everyone's against them institutionally. It is unhealthy. And I would say, in my experience, that's, that's an experience of more than a, de- more than a decade, but it's only a private experience. But that wasn't a game you, plan to use no, to no, their no, advantage. No, no, no. I think they, think they think just feel it. Emotionally, yeah. yeah. I, I would say the extent to which the, the club institutionally has bought into that siege, bought into that sense that no one likes them, is unprecedented. And I've never experienced anything like it before. To the extent that when Pep said the other week, when someone asked him whether he'd had more influence over British football than any other coach, which, for the record, I think is true. Mm-hmm. I think he is the most influential, certainly in the modern era, he is the most influential coach we've ever seen, more so than Ferguson, different pod. Uh, and he said, don't ask me that, people hate me even, even more. How on earth has Pep Guardiola got the idea, that the impression that people hate him? He is continually lauded as a transformational figure in all of English football by everyone. Nobody kind of... I mean, other fans might hate him because... The, other fans will hate the manager of their rivals. That's fine, but the, the the sort of the media, the general coverage of Pep is extraordinarily positive, and it's interesting. I, but I think if you say that to a City fan, they just don't believe you. They just but they just do not see it because they either don't read it or just when they do read it, they think, well, that is just neutral reporting. Is there a bit of new money and old money that comes into this discussion as well? Horses. Some of the some of the mistrust amongst <laughs> City and its fan base comes from the belief that they are not represented in the media, so therefore there is not going to be positive coverage of them within the media. But that's losing sight of the fact that those, you know, you've mentioned Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal. It's no surprise that there are journalists who support those clubs because there is an awful lot of people across the country who support those clubs. Is that... City's success, their achievements are all still very recent. They're, they're current. So they, the, the, the people who have been involved in those successes have not yet come through the wash out the other side to be 
established voices in terms of punditry, co-commentary, in terms of being on our television screens in the studios around matches, having columns in newspapers. They've not reached that stage yet. And of course, an awful lot of their great players have been overseas talent. Mm. So maybe when they have left the club, they have returned home. I mean, Vincent Company is a good example of somebody who, you know, perhaps we would have seen an awful lot more in the media this season, having left Manchester City, if he hadn't gone back to Belgium and to Anderlecht. And to use, you know, Micah Richards, who we've seen and heard a lot of this season, who's doing a, a phenomenal job working for a lot of the organisations that we all work for. He is one who has had some success with Manchester City. He's actually now our Tehran Bureau Chief for the New York <laughs> yes. Times. Yes. He's so in demand. <laughs> we... He, he is being used because he has had success with yeah. Manchester City. So he is able to provide that voice from a successful Manchester City dressing room. But if you compare, you know, he was in for the, the first leg of the, the Carabao Cup semi-final. He was in the studio with Darren Fletcher on Sky. Well, if you compare the trophies that they won during their careers with those, their respective clubs, clearly Darren Fletcher has had the considerably more successful career. It's a demonstration of how City will have to wait that little bit longer for those who have won the trophies to be able to represent them, to be their voice, if you want, in the media. That, that is, it can't happen instantaneously. You can't achieve success and immediately no. have your cheerleaders out there singing your praises all of the time. But we've, but we've spoken we've, we've before. Just, we've just discussed that, and I think we all agree that the job of the, of the studio guests or, or the lesser light brethren, the co-commentators, are not to... <laughs> How very dare you. Is not, to us, their job is not to defend the, the, the honour honor of a club. And... It's like Mike. I've done a lot of radio with Mike, and I really like him. But he'll quite often say, "You know, I should defend City here." And you think, "Well, no, you shouldn't." Like you, you're here as Mike Richards. The clubs don't see it like that. The clubs see them well, as the, their ambassadors. It's because the club, the club might have told him, "Yeah, don't be our voice." Go but and be our voice. The, the other, that I agree with you, but that is only one aspect of it. Because I think what the, the the other stuff is more to fans is more insidious. Kind of, this is the way that the newspaper, the newspapers in inverted commas, in general, report us achieving this compared to them achieving this, which they see as evidence of bias but is largely, and it sounds empty, just because th- sometimes th- different things are different things. So isn't it, isn't it a false hope, Steve, well, to, but, but, to have representatives in the media? How is that going to help them when we're saying that those people in the media should not be defending them per se? But that is why I've brought it up again, because I, I believe that that is the acorn that leads to this false truth mm. that they aren't fairly represented in the media because they aren't seeing the people that they would expect to see representing them in the media so they're looking yeah, yeah. for the you know the Nick Miller articles examples that, that that's making them more suspicious of that sort of thing you talk about you know the insidious articles that they believe are somehow talking down their achievements because they it's it started with that and and they just can't shake that belief that they are not fairly represented and and that's the confirmation bias that that we've spoken about before you will see a hundred articles and if 50 are 50 and 50 good and bad you will remember the bad ones because that's the point that you're trying to make and that's how you feel you're being treated and natalie turd in her defense she did yeah she does well i recognize that that is the case and we we notice this too yeah and it's but it's with city and it, and the thing is, we, we should make, make a point that this is not... I think I had this conversation with someone on Twitter not long ago. This is not unique to City. This is true of literally every club. Like, all the things that City think are unique about the way that they're covered, without being a patronising d**k, literally every other club thinks exactly the same stuff. It's all the same. Someone said, oh, you know what? Someone said, uh, the City fan said to me on Twitter, you know what? You, 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 
you know, it's not fair of you to, to laugh at... I think Nick Miller funny have described a certain type of Man City fan as the tinfoil hat brigade. And it, this, someone, someone responded and said, that's, that's disrespectful to Man City fans. And you think, well, it's not disrespectful to a certain type of Man City fans who probably deserve our disrespect. And he said, you wouldn't laugh about fan, the fan base of another club like that. I can assure you that we do. I can assure you that there, there is a section of every club, some are bigger, some are smaller. Often it, 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 it correlates entirely with how big their support is overall. That, it, that is that thinks in exactly this thinks in exactly this way, and that to an extent is natural. If, if that's what fans should be. Just to be a fan is to be in a bubble. So the job is for the media to crack to burst through that and say and explain better our working and say this is why this is being reported like this. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really fascinated by this idea that maybe the media needs to do a better job of explaining why it is covering a story in a certain way, although it seems so unwieldy. Equally, fans need to understand that, do you know what, two seasons ago, Liverpool finished 25 points behind Manchester City. Mm. When, when City got 100 points, Liverpool got 75. So equally, fans will have to understand that Liverpool winning the title this season, two years after that huge deficit is going to be a better story than City winning it for a third successive it's, season. It's, is the, the, ironically, the best thing for City fans is for Liverpool to win the league this season because that will mean the 30-year story is gone. That dewy-eyed comment that I yeah. made uh, sarcastically at the beginning, that will, be, that will recede because you've got, uh, generationally, obviously, clearly a lot of uh, members of the media remember Liverpool winning the league in 1990 and all those decades of success prior to that. So they are looking back on those moments and thinking about the context of Liverpool winning the league again. Now, if Liverpool were to win the league again, then all that dewy-eyed nonsense dissipates and they are just the most recent winners of the Premier League. The story then completely changes and it won't be a better story for Liverpool per se, you know, yeah, per yeah, se, yeah, that yeah. part of it. It won't be a better story for Liverpool to win the league in the vacuum that follows them Winning being the, the first well look, this is assuming they win years. the lead but I think but that's I am assuming so that, that, that is exactly it's a great example of what, I'm, what I mean that we that we as a media have to think a little bit more about about explaining to, to people that what the media basically works on is the story and the story isn't isn't is, off, is often not what you what isn't that's not necessarily kind of how, how fans in fact that's not ever how fans see it Just to fans the story is completely different but yeah, you're right. I've got a friend who's, who's adamant that the best thing for the whole country is that Liverpool win the league, just so that everyone can see that it's actually not that bad if Liverpool win the league. I think there's a lot of people who built it up into this kind of, this would be a nightmarish end of day scenario. You sort of think, well, you hear them say, oh, does he, they gloat. All fans gloat when they win the lead. It's kind of the point of winning the lead. All fans gloat when they win a game. It's just people with a different accent doing it. That's, that's, and often a lot of them don't have a different accent to you because they're all around you. They, they live next door to you. But yeah, you're right. So the the way that that the, the best thing that can happen for City is that they win the lead coming from behind against Liverpool. Because in that situation, Liverpool losing the lead is a great story and one that I suspect that Man City fans would really enjoy. But the thing but is, but Man City, City winning the be, title is also a, like the incredible comeback. City fans will be annoyed about the fact that it is about Liverpool losing the league instead of City winning the league from a deficit of 14 points at Christmas. You see that it would be, but you that, could, you that is how they would see yeah, those two stories being unfairly represented in a Liverpool yes, losing the league. Although way. quite how you would present Liverpool being kind of criticised for blowing it as pro-Liverpool bias is something I would be fascinated yes. to see. Well, there we go. Right. But, but you're right, there is a possibility it could be interpreted like that. I think that that would actually, if City were to win the lead from this position, then it would, then th that might actually help the City fans see, look, it's not to do with who your club is, it is to do with their role in the drama. And that's the crucial thing. 
that if Liverpool are to win the league this season, then next season, when they don't win the league, when they find themselves 10 points behind City in December or whatever, then you will see Liverpool getting all of the coverage that City are getting now because that's what happens when reigning champions don't defend their titles in the way that we expect them to. And that's not to say that it's decided, but if you, if you, if you have a hit-up as a defending champion, you are covered in a certain way. If you have a hit-up as a contender, you are covered in a different way. And that's what I mean, that you have to explain, I think, better. We have to be more open with our processes to say, this is why this story is being presented like this. And that, that could be... Within the way you tell the story, it could be within the documentary, on the audio, the, when you're talking about talking through the game, it could be in a supportive Twitter thread to explain. We've been encouraged to do a lot more of those to kind of explain the, the to draw back the curtain a little bit to explain how we work and why we're working like that. Because it's imp- people require that level of um, transparency and detail. I think now to b- people find it really hard to trust. People don't trust the media. We can't assume that we're trusted. It's, so we have to win that trust. It's whether the fans believe... As you said, though, it's not just specific to City fans. All football fans, once they put the blinkers on, they only want to hear great things, glorious things about their team. They don't want to, or in their own eyes, see pieces that they feel are critical of their team. So why, why should the journalists have to explain? You, you're obviously very talented at what you do, and you write a very balanced piece on whatever you want to write, it, and you're writing it for the right reasons. Should you really have to explain? It's up for other people to digest that, and they've maybe got to look at their view and say, why do I see that as in, in a certain way? It's down to the fans, surely, to adjust and get their heads up a little bit more, rather than the journalists have to explain the context of what they're writing. I know what you mean, but I think the, the, if you look at the, the kind of broader pattern of how media cons- consumption is going, that's not going to happen. Mm. You, have to adopt, you have to adapt to the world in which you live. But it's worth trying, you feel, to try, to try I think, and explain. I think we need to be a little bit more honest. And funny if it's, it, it speaks to other stuff as well. I think we need to be more honest about briefings. There's so, man, so many people in football say stuff either on background or off the record or are quoted as sources who should be named. The, you saw this during the election. The people who were quoting bullshit stories for the Tories that, that were cutting through were being quoted as, as Downing Street advisors. Name them. They do not have the right. They, they are not in a position where they, they're kind of, their jobs are in peril. If they're not whistleblowers. They're not undercover spies. They're, they're people who have names and who are employed as, as in some cases, Downing Street sort of press spokespeople or whatever. Name them. Make them accountable for their words. And we do that. We rely on football in, far too much. But we all understand the reason why they're not being named because they wouldn't, wouldn't then be sources to that journalist because if that journalist named them, they might not that, that but I was, in the future get any yeah, of that bang, background that, that, or briefing. And that is the emerter that you buy into. But genuinely, I think that you, it is worth not having the source if all the source is going to do is, is mislead you off the record. And that happens in, and in politics, it's one thing, and you can make a case that for someone like Laura Coonsberg, it's much harder for our American listeners, is the BBC's political correspondent and is excellent. Editor. 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 And it's much more important for her. But there is no way. There are people given an, the benefit of anonymity in football reporting that have absolutely no right to anonymity. And it, the only reason they use it is so that they can tell the truth. But if it's the truth, that they're not prepared to own up to, then it's not really worth quoting them, to be perfectly honest, and it's not necessarily worth relying on their information. We ha- so I think Chinch is right, that the problem is, is, is on the consumption side, but the solution, the first solution that we have to, is that we have to explain better how we're working. And the crucial thing is what Steve touched on right at the start, which is that things that look the same often aren't. Uh, final question, I want a one-word answer, either Liverpool or City. Which would be a bigger story, Liverpool winning the league after 30 years or City winning the Champions League for the first time in their history? Rory? Fortunately, one happens two weeks after the other, so they can both <laughs> be both massive, massive stories. stories. Chinch? Uh, 
Liverpool. Liverpool's the answer. Liverpool? Liverpool's a bit yeah, yeah, Liverpool's the answer. See, yeah. City fans would be very angry at that and wouldn't understand why. But because they've got more readers, it's, and it's, to be honest, it's a better narrative. Liverpool, the end, end of a 30-year wait for the, is a better narrative. City, City are the, one of the richest clubs in Europe. They're clearly one of the, well, probably the best team in Europe on their day. Then winning the Champions League is expected, so they will do it at some point. You could change the question to Club A wins their domestic league for the first time in 30 yeah. years despite the huge success they've had up until that point. Club B wins the European Cup Champions League for the first time in its history. The answer remains the same. So last year... Bigger story, Liverpool winning the Champions League or Manchester City winning an unprecedented domestic double? Treble. Because uh, City fans will think that Liverpool was made to be a bigger story, appeared I, to be a bigger story, uh, I, was lauded more. Yeah, but then equally you had... I mean, there is a, let's, not, let's not beat around the bush. There's a market function. Yeah. Liverpool sells papers. Yes, That's I'm, really I'm important. putting the point of no, view no, of them rather than saying that I think that. You clearly. had... So, in the, so the City thing I actually think was underplayed. I do think that the City winning that treble was underplayed. Partly, they underplayed it themselves by coming up with a stupid formidable and, slogan. And this is where you, you talked about how well Liverpool do help themselves behind the seas. That was insane. Was and despite all the people telling them it was madness, they still went ahead and did it. So it, in that respect, they're not helping themselves because they're trying to sell something that isn't worth selling. Well, was that a reaction and to Liverpool? It wasn't something they were going to do anyway. I'm not, oh, I'm not, not quite anyway. sure who, who came up with the formidable thing, but, but well, they, they shouldn't be I, working in advertising. I know you know. Yes, yeah. I don't know, but it's that city that was an int- winning the domestic treble. Forget the charity shield. Winning the domestic treble was an incredible achievement that should have been fated more. I guess the the reason that it was done as formidables is because they didn't want the comparison with a previous treble that yes. had, that had happened. To which is probably which, that, which has a logic to it, but I don't think it helped them. They they could have I I think they could have sold the domestic treble better. The other thing that slightly complicated that is that the way they beat what and this this is a, a to finish with Miguel. Miguel wrote a piece after the cup final talking about the balance of that game and whether that sort of suggested that football was maybe starting to break away from its moorings a little bit if you could get an FA Cup final where one team two teams in the same division one team is so superior they beat the other one 6-0 and again that's a club A club B scenario it doesn't matter that it's Manchester City it's not a Manchester City thing it's that this is part of a trend that we have to be aware of in football because it's happening all over Europe is that healthy for the game? That's a really valid point. So in a way, and I've actually said this to Man City, it would have helped them if they beat Watford 2-0 or 3-1, if it had just been a normal game. I think they would have, the, the response would have been a lot more lionising. Whereas when they, they won 6-0, that's not to criticise the players or Guardiola or anything, they won 6-0, it, it became a different story. Things that look the same aren't always the same. It became a different story about the kind of imbalance in the game. That isn't That is partly represented by City but also by Liverpool or, or Arsenal or Chelsea or Man United or whoever else the other thing on the Liverpool side is that that was a year after losing the final in Kiev there is a redemption story there that's a good story Liverpool has a good has a good um, has a proud history in the, in the Champions League anyway so that's another good story it was an all English final that's a big story it was three weeks after the end of the season so it kind of stood on the on its own we had, we had nothing else to think about for three weeks other than the Champions League final things that they're not they're not these things aren't immediately comparable. I think that City winning the first ever domestic trouble is probably a bigger story. Liverpool sold theirs better. 
Well, I think we were um, extremely balanced over the course. I'm sure we were. I have no idea. But we will be accused of not being. The, 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 the chess clock is perfectly even. Okay, thank you. It's now time for Nevermind Jack and Ori What a Soccer Story. Andy Hinchcliffe is going to tell us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details removed. Well, in a previous soccer story, I talked about the thorny issue of, of Man of the Match. And this is uh, along the same theme. Mm. Um, oh, it's a two-parter. Just like no, no, not really. Yeah, just like we've done. Is it an accompanying Kind piece? of, kind of. Is well, it was Johnny Alioste again. Oh no no no! This is this is this is Wayne Rooney. Wayne <gasps> Rooney, second of January, twenty twenty. Wayne Rooney makes his championship debut. Mm-hmm. We've been waiting for for months and months to Wayne Rooney to play for Derby, and as a co-commentator, as commentator, you're put in a really tricky position because this is Derby are playing Barnsley. Mm. Now Barnsley is famous, of course. It's it's the hometown of the Hinchcliffe. So this is this is a big game. However mm. you cut it, not just the fact Wayne Rooney's playing. This is a big game. Barnsley are a big club, um, but clearly. Sky and just people watching on. It's it's the Wayne Rooney game. It has to be the Wayne Rooney game. But the, the, the trouble is, you're then thinking, even when as they kick off, you're thinking, I know I'm going to be asked for man of the match here, and I'm going to be put in a really awkward because you because he, he was involved in one of the goals. He was involved actually in their first goal. He made a crossfield pass for the second goal, which people tried to dress up as having a huge influence on the goal, and it wasn't quite. He had a he had a steady game. Yeah. And as we talked about there, if you take the, the name of the club or a name of a player out and put player A or club A, it does change how you would view that player's performance. And I, I get the feeling because there was, there was kind of texts and emails flying about during the course of the commentary. And I didn't open or read any of them. But after the game, it was pretty obvious that certain people quite keen for this to be keep the Wayne Rooney story mm. going. But the, the game... In, in the way that it was, it was actually about whether Barnsley could get a second equaliser. They were 2-1 down, 10 minutes to go. And we keep getting fed all this stuff about, you know, Wayne Rooney's doing this and touch maps for Wayne Rooney and action areas. And Wayne Rooney at that point clearly wasn't the story of the game. So I'm then caught between following this narrative and actually following what is actually happening in front of me. And I kept having to say, look, if this was anybody else, we wouldn't be doing this. But then they kept saying, but it's Wayne Rooney. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the game, then you know, they, they win the game. He's captain. He plays a full 90 plus minutes. He, he does play reasonably well, plays not within himself, but he's only able to play a certain way, but yeah. he played that way. And you know what they're going to ask when the producer buzzes through to say, any ideas on man of the match? And I'm a part of it, probably for a split second, I, I felt I, I'm going to have to go with him. Mm. But actually I didn't. I, stood, I give it to Max Bird. Okay. Clearly, you know who Max Bird is. An exceptional young the player of Derby. No, that's, that's Big Bird, which <laughs> is, I, that's his dad. Um, <laughs> but he's not a Muppet. He's an excellent central midfielder, and he did play, but it wasn't a great game. There was no one really who stood out, but it was that rune. And I, I can't remember a game where I've not commentated a lot on, on Messi or Ronaldo, where you kind of feel before a ball's mm. kicked that you're going to be led down a certain road. And it is difficult. And I have tried to be, I've been dictated to in the past about who I should pick. The really? man of the match, yes, because they maybe they want, want to do certain interview. interviews yeah. or they want a certain narrative about he's a new signing, it's his first game. Let's just give it to... And I've actually kicked against this and I thought, well, either ask me and I'll give you my opinion. If you mm. don't think it's right, get somebody else, because I'm not going to put my name to somebody I, I don't believe. I actually gave James Milner man of the match when he actually was brilliant, but there was a bigger name in that game that they wanted me to go with. And I said, well, no, if I'm doing it and we're doing it on screen, because they normally build all these yeah. graphics about the player. I said, if I'm putting my name to it, I can't do it for the player that you're telling me to do. Because I don't, hand on heart, I don't believe that. Mm. So it's the same with the Rooney thing is, what, what do I, 
and I actually did. I, I, I thought, well, he, he wasn't the best player on the pitch. Nobody really was. Mm. I stood my ground and went for an. Who did play? He did. Right, and again, he's, he's a young player. So he's had a lot of injuries. These young lads for Derby have done really well playing alongside Wayne Rooney. He was a, a United fan. I thought the story was actually great, and he did play really well. You know, I don't tend to have opinions anyway. No. And my man of the match, as we've talked about with Alioski and, and others, I have got it. I don't feel wrong. But if I give it to a left back, I get criticised. Well, you're a former left back. You would give it to him. No, but he was the best player on the pitch. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So again, you get criticised. It's a really tricky thing people, to do. Yeah. But when, 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 as you said, you're trying to lift the curtain and explain how you make these, or what's happening in the yeah. background. You just watch a game and decisions and people say certain things. You don't understand all the conversations. Surely it's got to be, you've got to be strong, haven't you? And how, stick to your guns. How and do you go feel about that thing where they just give it to the person who scored the goal? I, Troy Deeney once scored a hat-trick for Watford mm. and I gave man of the match to Alman Abdi who set up all three goals <laughs> yeah, yeah. Troy Deeney scored three tap-ins and after the game he couldn't, he's lovely Troy and he was kind of laughing about it and he always mentions it and I said yeah but you weren't the best player on the pitch just because you scored you weren't the best player and he said well I scored yes I know you did but this guy did all the hard work and put it on a plate for you three times yeah. and so I explained myself but he still again years have gone by and he still when he sees me says I can't believe you didn't give him a well and again I'll explain to you Troy <laughs> that you weren't the best player let on the pitch let me go through this again there's a reason I don't just pluck a name and just say oh I'll just make up a reason why he's mad we do try and put some but actually being a co-commentator you can actually because you focus on so many things you need maybe somebody who's watching the game, who's slightly detached from what we're doing. Because I always ask, well, ask the guys in the studio what they think. And we maybe come to a, they might have seen something different. Because you can't, when you're so entrenched in it, it is very hard to kind of pick your head up and see the, the game as a whole and remember everything that's happened because there's so much stuff going on in the background. I'm putting myself into the position of the producer of that Derby Barnsley game on the talk back to Chinch. Any ideas on man of the match? Yeah, uh, we'll go with Max Bird. Oh, uh, Talk back to Chinch doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> Sound? Can you? Uh, I think he said. I think he said Wayne Rooney. No, no, Max Bird was sounded like Rooney. Yeah, I, he said. He said Wayne Rooney. Do you know what I actually did? He, he buzzed through and he said, "Have you any ideas on on man of the match?" And I took a bit of time, pressed it's called the lazy button because it cuts off what we what we broadcast. He pressed the lazy button and I just said, "No." <laughs> First time I have ever just uttered what I'd normally say. Well, I'm thinking of ask the guys. Blah blah blah. I just went no, and I heard. Sean, his name is back in the in the studio. He buzzed. The next thing he said to me was, "Oh, please help me out," because <laughs> clearly he must have felt, yeah, "Yeah, I've got to go down a certain road with this because this is my." And it's a hor- again, it's horrible for everybody when you have these occasions where everyone just. So I, I, I'm hoping we. we I, I did. I didn't just do it to be. It's not anti Wayne Rooney by any means. It was actually what I thought. And there was maybe a couple of players, and you could easily have, have just said. Yeah, let's just give him everything. It's his yeah. night. But it, it, it actually, there's still a game of football there. There's yeah, still yeah, the opposite. Not a if Barnsley scored an equaliser, the story is the whole get. It isn't just one person, yeah. but it is hard when you get someone of that stature playing in the championship, like Messi and Ren- It's really hard to actually move away You'll and make like the right way. decision. When Messi's at Luton and you're having to watch him there. <laughs> yeah. But only on his first game thereafter. The championship has an amazing draw. <laughs> and I really think Messi playing in the champ would be extraordinary. Yes. Mm. Uh, you can send us any emails you have to setpiecemenu at gmail.com don't forget like earlier if you have a Reacher novel you can open it take a photo of it and send it to us and Andy will read it will I? yes you will yeah. please subscribe share rate and review and like I said last week please ratings and reviewings on iTunes it is currency to us as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule thank you to Rory, Stephen and Andy to you all for listening uh, we'll be back with another set piece menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed but during the course of that game as well there's, there's obviously Colleen was there and I, I presume all the kids and stuff 
stuff there. And obviously, we're not we don't put kids on camera and stuff no. like that because that's not what we do. But they wanted to get a, a shot of Colleen being there supporting Wayne, and and it, it took it took about thirty five minutes until we got the Colleen shot. But when we got it. She was in the hospitality suite trying to get the top off a champagne bottle. <laughs> Seriously. So I said, ah, it's good to see uh, Colleen supporting her husband there. And apparently the hospitality is pretty good here at Derby's. <laughs> and she was desperately. And then he, he took the free kick that led to the opening goal. And she'd actually probably missed it. She was in there trying to get the top off a, a bottle of Dom Perry.